Hello and welcome to a very festive edition of Cameras or Whatever. It is the end of 2015 and we are going to do our gear of the year review again. This is going to be our annual thing. And so I am Tyler Stallman. And I am Cameron Whitman. And in studio we have guest I'm Jordan Drake. Jordan Drake, back, back for this year. Once again, <laughs> Jordan, uh, if you don't already know, is from the Camera Store TV, and he works at the Camera Store and uh, knows everything about the cameras that we don't buy. I mean, Cameron and I can only buy so many cameras in a year, but right. you get to... Yeah, we play with pretty much everything, yeah, especially and, with the web show. And yes, yeah, so you actually go into in-depth reviews of yeah, tons yeah, we, of gear. We actually have to really test these things to have a legitimate opinion about them. Right, and you're not just going to be making right. up your opinions <laughs> like we do. <laughs> Which I, is what makes it hard to do these shows if you're not working in a store or constantly buying everything. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I'm still shooting with my 5D Mark III. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I, did, I did rent lots of gear from you this year. Uh, I put a few things through its paces. And I know, uh, Cameron, you also get to experience a lot of different gear because you edit the photos that come through on Stocksy, So you see what cameras are shooting, what people are using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Which I think is a much more interesting. Well, I don't know about much more interesting, but it's definitely a, a unique perspective. No, no, have. you're you're right. You have the most interesting perspective here. I think you <laughs> nailed it. I mean, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Okay, I've got I got a list here, so we're going to be working from notes today, just so we don't forget too much. And right at the start, it's point and shoots. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is, I mean, we all know the phone killed the regular point and shoot, right? Like the Canon right. Elf or whatever. Um, so <laughs> there, there was a few years there where there were like a few higher end point and shoots that everybody was kind of talking about. That was the only exciting bit. And now everything that's coming out is a higher end point and shoot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and which I love, like it's, it, there's actually more point and shoots that are things that are worth talking about now. Whereas it used to be that, I don't know, there's so many of them and they're all like really consumer based. Yeah. Now there's so many more that are focused at a higher end because they need to compete against better yeah. cameras, right? Like they were better cell phones. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There yeah. has to be like an appreciable difference. Right. So the first one on my list here is the iPhone success, which, uh, I mean, that's still my favorite camera in a way. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's what a lot of us shoot as much as anything else on. Uh, sorry, I, I didn't get the S. Uh, my, my wife, I didn't get the S. Um, so I've been using it and being able to compare it to the six. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what I've been shooting on this year. Cameron, you're on the what, 6S? I'm on the 6 Plus. 6 Plus, okay, but not right. S. Right. What, do you, what are you using? I've got an ancient 5C. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, <hi. It's>, <laughs> How <laughs> are you getting by at all? Uh, I drag around high-end point-and-shoots, basically, because oh. <laughs> my phone isn't filling that niche right now. That'll do it. Um, well, so I'll just say that the 6S, comparing it, was a nice step forward. It's not that game changer that we've been hoping for where all of a sudden you won't need a professional point and shoot to to get that extra dynamic range or extra megapixels it has more megapixels it doesn't i don't know honestly i usually can't really tell the difference between the six and the success right at a glance they are quite similar but it is still the best cell phone camera even though other brands are coming out with them more often hmm. it uh, the, the color rendition in it is still my favorite um the biggest thing, like I, I touched on this on a previous episode when I used the uh, the uh, um, LG G4 yeah. um, that I it took around for about a month this year. And uh, it was very good, it was very sharp, but it really showed the difference in how um, Apple deals with it in the color rendition and the dynamic range. I think they're doing some software stuff to basically fill in 
roll off highlights, like fill yeah. in blown out areas in a really gentle in way. A, yeah, natural way. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, like, you know, we talk about how we can't really see the differences between like the six and the six S that easily without really looking at the images. But I've got, you know, and again, an ancient phone, but mm-hmm. every time they do an iOS update, my images look a little bit better. And that's the mm-hmm. beauty of, you know, so much emphasis being placed on the image processing is, you know, I, I bet if you were still kicking an old, Apple, like an iPhone 4 or something, you know, not a great camera, but the color's still going to be really nice coming off it. They just keep making advances on that color science side. Right. It's a really interesting approach. Like nobody else has made the software side or the processing side the priority in the way that Apple does. And it's paid off for them in huge huge ways. They haven't needed to move forward on megapixels and sharpness and everything else. As much as other brands, because they understand the processing so well. Yeah, well, like Cameron, you're uh, the closest thing I can think of would be the Fuji right now. Like the X100s just mm-hmm. gets slightly tweaked and better and better every fir- single firmware update, and they're building, you know, a really fanatical group of photographers based on that. Really similar to what Apple's done with iPhone people. You know, everybody's looking forward to the next update because there's noticeable differences. Oh, that's really curious to hear because I actually haven't been paying that much of attention to it. Update your I, camera. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll maybe I I change my mind and keep it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking about selling it. <laughs> well, not, not because it's not a great camera. I actually think it's quite cool, but I'm a little bit uh, overstocked at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. I, you've got a big trophy shelf. <laughs> yeah, you could call it that. But uh, let's let's move along to some of the more professional ones. Probably the leader in reviews is the Sony RX100 yeah. Mark IV. The, the Mark IV is the latest one, and this is kind of the camera for like uh, the hybrid, like you and me, Tyler. You know, mm-hmm. guys who are doing a lot of stills and a lot of video. Because stills wise, it's not a huge jump. Honestly, it's a little better dynamic range, but that's about the extent of it. Right, and this came out the week that I bought my Canon G7X. Yeah. So at that point, I probably could have returned the G7X and exchanged it because yeah. it was so quickly after. And I stuck with it, and you know what? I don't regret it. Probably mm-hmm. because of the cost difference. Totally, you ha- you do have to pay a lot more for that Sony. Yeah, and what is the cost difference? I think, see, this is the tough thing. I've been out of the store on paternity leave for a while, so I have no idea the prices of anything. Uh, but I think it's is still it two or three hundred like, more. Yeah, I think it's like thirteen hundred for an RX one hundred, which yeah. is you know like a DSLR, kind yeah, of, right, as opposed right. to like eight hundred for a G seven. So it's like a five hundred dollar price difference, right? So it, it's noticeable. Yeah, if you're not going to use like the RX one hundred four has amazing video features, it does some of the best slow mo I've ever seen on a camera. It shoots four K. It's got log recording. If you're not going to take advantage of that stuff, then yeah, I mean, the Canon's initially it was a really overpriced camera, I thought. But then, well, my thought is that it's still, unless it's your, if it's your primary camera, it can make sense. If you're, if you're a hobbyist that, you know, you, you want the absolute best out of the one camera you're going to have, totally makes sense. But as what is, for me, it's effectively a backup camera. I don't need to invest that much in. Yeah. A secondary camera. Totally. Mm-hmm. That that makes a lot of sense. Like I could see it if you were, you know, a YouTuber or mm-hmm. an Instagrammer mm-hmm. and you needed like one small camera you could bring everywhere that's amazing quality. RX one hundred four would be my first recommendation. But if you just want to do like a, a secondary vlogging camera or something, then the Canons are really nice. Yeah, and that's the next thing I wanted to touch on was that the the G seven X is now two years old. Mm-hmm. 
And oh yeah, I forgot my disclaimer at the beginning. We are not talking about gear that was released in 2015. Right. This is gear that mattered in 2015. So a lot of this stuff yeah. is not new or was released. You know, maybe at the end of 2014. Right. Just but, still relevant. Yeah, exactly. And I mean. <laughs> If we were only talking about stuff released in 2015, we wouldn't even mention Canon or Nikon. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm putting together my year in review episode right now, kind of going through our list. And we are doing just stuff that was released this year. Mm-hmm. And we've been pulling our hair out because it has been a boring year in photography in a lot of ways. Uh, like cameras specifically, some interesting stuff in lenses, um, you know, a lot of accessories that are really cool. But purely on a camera, even mirrorless, there's just not that much compelling coming out that's right. really changing things. Well, except from one brand. Yeah, well, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, let's let's get through the point shoots first. You also wanted to mention the Sony RX1R2, which I had no, to write down to remember. Yeah, uh, it's the worst naming conventions on these things now. Yeah. Um, You've got it here. Yeah, I've we're just been playing with it uh, this weekend because we're working on our review coming up really shortly. And it's a beautiful camera. Can you press the shutter to prove to the podcast that there's a camera in there? Let me check. Oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's quiet. Leaf shutter. Oh, it's a leaf shutter. I didn't know that. Yeah. But this is, so this is the fixed lens that is, this is really, basic, really great. This is right? Well, we touched on the Fuji X100S. Mm-hmm. This is the X100S's big brother. So it's the full frame version of that. Uh, 35 millimeter f2 lens, um, but they put the sensor from the a7R2 in it. So 42 oh, megapixels. It's the same sensor. Same sensor. Wow. And the lens on this thing is just gorgeous. Like we loved it on the original, um, but yeah, it was a 24 megapixel camera. Um, so we didn't know how well it was going to resolve, but mm-hmm. it is, it's like tack sharp wide open yeah. on a 42 megapixel chip. It's a crazy good lens. Hmm. Mm. Um, they've added a viewfinder to it that's really beautiful, actually, considering the size of it. Like, here, I'll just pass this over. What do you think? Electronic viewfinder? Yeah, it's an electronic viewfinder, but it just pops it looks, up. It looks like a flash. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you can really, I, I hope the sound of it conveys it in the podcast. But, uh, but uh, okay, so if, you, if you're not getting enough out of this audio description of beautiful cameras, Jordan... Where did people find your video that will feature all of these cameras? Yeah, we're going to have our year in review on the Camera Store TV uh, pretty quick here. It's youtube.com slash the Camera Store TV. Perfect. Uh, be the year in review. Every year we drink too much and have opinions, so you can look forward to that. We've got some, <laughs> we got some stuff planned. Uh, but yeah, we'll definitely be talking about this. But so far, I really like it. The big thing for me, like it's sharp, oh, that's great. But they put the focus from the A7R2 in as well, um, which is Ooh. yeah, 399 focus points. Right, with, eye tracking. You were talking with about. the eye tracking. So if I was out shooting street or something, you can just put the eye detect on, and I mean, you know, it's not always gonna jump to the eye immediately, but once it does, you know you've got, like, that shot's going to be sharp. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm using the eye detect and I get confirmation, I haven't had one picture out of focus. You yeah. know, might be blurry from a slow shutter speed, but it's never a focus issue. Yeah, that idea of eye detect is a really good idea. I haven't had good experience with it yet. I had a bit of struggles with the actual facial tracking, so mm-hmm. I didn't get down to the point of eye tracking helping me, but I've heard other people say that it's extremely effective. It makes sense because that's what you want to focus on. So I'm, I'm optimistic about it. Once I have a camera that features it, I'll, I'll have more to say about it. But I think it's a great idea. Yeah, if you, and it's when a lot of people are looking at the camera that it becomes an issue. But mm-hmm. if you know you're going to have one subject going into it, like a portrait or a lifestyle session or something like that, then it's really cool. Right. Yeah. Cameron, do you have anything to say about film point-and-shoots this year? Well, there were none. <laughs> no, no new releases. 
Shocking. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I guess I had that to say. It's almost as boring as Canon and Nikon. Yeah. Almost. For me, I guess just looking back and wanting to have the best possible point and shoot for film. Of course, I bought the XA last year. Um, but this year I bought the uh, the Fuji Class S, mm-hmm. which was much talked about, and uh, it is also a really fantastic camera. With you know, it's got the um, anytime you you have a, a fixed lens on a Fuji, you know that that lens is going to be solid, and uh, it, it is. It's it's remarkably sharp, and it's really convenient. But I to be honest with you, I I'm not as excited about it as I still am with the XA, and it costs four times as much. Hmm. Well, I, when we, we've talked about this when you first got it, but it is, it was much sharper to me than my contacts, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, a much loved le- uh, camera by many people and is very sharp. Mm-hmm. But that Fuji was just image quality wise, really, really high quality photos. Yeah. No question. It's, it's amazing. It's kind of like carrying around like a, a, a point and shoot Leica. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. has you going back to the XA all the time then? Well, I think that it's just because the um, the feeling that I get from the XA shots that are not they're far from perfect. They're really nice looking, but um, if you compare image, you know, just the the results from the Fuji versus the, the Olympus, the Fuji would win on every standard test. Right. Um, but the XA just has a, is a slightly warmer color. I like the feel of shooting with it. I mean, I, I had the XA for a while before mine broke, but the feeling of the rangefinderness of it yeah, yeah, yeah. is very nice. Yeah, it's pleasurable to use. And also you know where you're focusing, even though sometimes mm-hmm. with the uh, with the rangefinder it can be a little bit difficult to nail the focus. Um, at least you can actually tell where it's focusing, whereas with the, the Fuji it's autofocus, and right. so you don't get to see that. Like You just have to assume that it, that it chose the right thing based on where the autofocus focuses. You pray. Yeah, well, I don't... Yeah. I don't think any of us are really shooting 35 cameras for maximum resolution too. So, right. you know, I think the character of the lens is a lot more important than just how much resolution you can get out of that. So that makes a lot of sense there as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's really nice. And like, I think that um, certain films seem to favor each camera. For instance, I think that the Fuji films look really nice in the Fuji camera, <laughs> coincidentally. Um, but also, the, surprisingly, the Kodak Ektar looks really great in that camera. Hmm. And with the XA, like I generally, I only use um, Kodak Ultramax 400 or Portra 400 for that, and it's perfect right. every time. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, move along to the next section which is very broad and probably the biggest one is uh, just interchangeable lens cameras which i can't call dslrs anymore because so many of them are mirrorless dslr mirrorless all that Mm -hmm. all the 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 middle the um well or i don't know the the, from the the generally speaking it's the stuff that was unexciting (laughs) (laughs) but the stuff that we use the most absolutely yeah um do we just want to talk about the big elephant in the room sure okay yeah. Uh, so yeah, the A7R2 mm-hmm. is what everyone's talking about. Like, yeah. if you go to any photography site, they've written like nine articles about it. Because I mean, a, I think a big part of it is just a dearth of other exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. But it is. I mean, it's changing things in a lot of ways. The biggest one for me is the way it's handling third-party lenses. 
Well, and I think in even bigger elephant is that most of the interesting stuff to talk about, you'll notice, is from Sony. Yeah. Which I think we might have, I should have re-listened to last year's episode, because I think we said the same thing last year. Yeah. Um, last year was the A7 and A7R and A7S, and this year it's the A7 II and the A7R II and the A7S II, and they are all more interesting. Than pretty much anything else Than anything there. else, yeah. I mean, which doesn't necessarily mean the best in, in every way, but yeah. they are the best in some ways, and Definitely the most interesting. They're, they're the best ones, yeah, to sit around and chat about, no for question. Sure, yeah. You know, a DSLR is still going to be the tool of choice for a lot of types of work. But mm-hmm. in terms of things actually shaking up the industry, yeah, like the R2 is the best image quality you can get on a full-frame camera right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's really too debated at this point. Um, the Focus does some really interesting stuff. It's not, you know, 100% there. But, yeah, and um, the time that I talked about it, a lot of my... My concerns were about general speed yeah. in um, just na- navigating through photos when you're reviewing them, um, just kind of responses you're shooting. It's not as responsive as an SLR. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think it kind of got a little overblown right when that first came out. Right. As, Which won't matter for regular people. Like if you yeah. don't work as a photographer and you just want the highest quality, that will not matter. The new focus things will probably mm. do a better job. Yep. There's a lot of people that this would be a much better choice than any SLR. Yeah. I think it's just. People like us, people that shoot events or just shoot a, a lot of professional stuff, yeah. it's kind, it'd kind of be hard to make the jump. There's three things, like it's events, sports, and wildlife. Right. Are the three things I would never recommend going to, I mean, a mirrorless camera period for mm-hmm. even still yeah. at this point. But for any other type of shooting, like I'll just drag one of those A7Rs with a prime around and I don't feel like I'm handicapped in any real way. Well, Cameron, you've said things about the color before. Uh, do, you, do you still have uh, objections to that? Yeah, I still haven't really seen a lot that made me feel nice and, and cozy about mm-hmm. it, to be honest with you. Like, I think that, you know, when people talk about, like, Jordan, you were just saying that it pretty much hands down has the best image quality. And, and uh, you know, like, I'm, I'm afraid to debate that because for me, I don't see it. Right. And I look at, um, like you know, Tyler was saying earlier, I have the, I guess, luxury <laughs> of looking yeah. at a lot of people's um, photos at full resolution. And uh, a lot of the people that are using the Sony's, like, I'm not seeing like a, a really uh, the the kind of step up that 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 warrants the amount of conversation that I'm hearing about it. So are you seeing many R2 files yet? Oh yeah. Okay. And, yeah. Yeah, and still fine because I've they. I noticed definitely they tweaked um, the color science quite a bit on the new one, uh, which I found quite a bit more pleasing. Um, but also I've changed the way I'm working with them, which is, I mean, something maybe we'll roll around to in software a little bit. It's also, it's hard because I think that the uh, the, the sample size that I've had to work with is relatively small. I think that I probably know less than five people using it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't really, you know, say much about those different individuals you know the way that they go about processing their work and i haven't seen that issue that you think about when i shot it for a weekend or whatever yeah. but because I, I think it's that i found that to me more there was more impact based on how you process the files than on what was captured um totally i mean that's what you'll notice more is how the person deals with the color to mm-hmm. me that was just my impression I, I mean, I have a very, I have a sample size of myself. Right. 
Um, well, I think Sony's also, they're almost doing a disservice to their shooters because they do change the image processing so much year to year. Where, you know, I can shoot a file with a Canon or a Nikon and mm-hmm. I, my brain flips into Canon or Nikon mode and I know how to process those based on like almost a decade of the files responding. Right. You know, pretty similarly, you know, Lightroom's changed its processing and stuff, but mm-hmm. a file out of those cameras still looks like a file out of those cameras where the Sonys are so different. You know, I could go back to a camera two years ago and I'll treat those files completely differently. It makes it really hard to get like a regular workflow. Like those people with A7R2s, they're probably still coming to grips with it. You know, when I say best image quality, that's, you know, in terms of image quality metric, but color science is a lot more complicated and it's changing so much. And not in that like nice Apple way where it's like every (laughs) year is like, oh, it's just warmer and better. It's it's different. And I like it more this year, but it definitely takes a little bit of getting used to. Can you touch on why we're talking about the A7R2 so much and not the A7 Because I wish they were more competitive with each other. I wish more people, like I wish... There's things about the A7 too that would, if it was more similar to the A7R, I would be considering it. Yeah. Um, like I, I think the 24 megapixel count is the sweet spot. Yeah, for a lot exactly. Of of that shooting. is what I want for megapixels. I do not want the 42. The 40, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And the autofocus system isn't nearly as sophisticated. That's the, the big, video. That's one of the biggest things. A big step down. Yeah. As well. So there's no S log in the video, right? Uh, there is S log, but the sensor is garbage. Oh, okay. Video. So it doesn't matter. See, that's the thing. Thing, yeah. If it if it um could shoot good S log two mm-hmm. that looked as good in HD, it doesn't have to do four K, and it uh had this, the same focusing system, yeah. I might just have already bought it by now. Right. But mm-hmm. well it's it doesn't. So. It is interesting. They just brought out if you're adapting Canon glass to it, mm-hmm. they just updated the A7 II. Uh, and now it's got the same system as the R2. Oh, so if great. you were using adapted glass, yeah. then you're not going to see much of a difference between those. And I tested it. haven't done it too much yet, but it does seem very similar. It's if you're using native glass that the R2 is just a much okay. more sophisticated focus system. Right. Mm. Well, um, I don't know. In general, I'm going to say, even though it was all the most interesting stuff, I'm betting that again next year, Sony will <laughs> again be the most interesting because they're probably going to update all of these again to Mark III's. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> that also makes you have no idea when to buy these cameras, but it makes right. it yeah, it makes <laughs> or it really sell tough. them yeah. yeah yeah they depreciate so quickly that's yeah. the one thing that they're definitely kind of shooting themselves in the foot a bit you know? yeah strange if you throw three grand at a camera and now you can get an R A seven R original for like thirteen fourteen hundred bucks <sighs> like that's a big hit in one year mm-hmm. yeah and I, I've been actually hearing quite a lot of complaints from shop owners. Because of working with Sony is is much more difficult because of some of those reasons. Well, if you want the opposite, let's talk about Canon for a second. <laughs> you know, like my my <laughs> recommendation of, of the year yeah. is the Canon 5D Mark III released uh, almost four years ago. Yeah, it's still I'd say their most well-rounded camera. Yeah, I mean I st- <laughs> I still really like it. There's a lot of flaws. There's a lot I could complain about. Kind of be a waste of time, but. Um, we need we need a Mark IV really bad. This yeah. is this is due. This camera is falling on. too far behind. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a jerk. <laughs> like, why do we need it? Because okay, video. We we that's like the the most obvious because it has now reached a point that buying my 5D Mark III, it could be a split camera that I could use for both. But the dynamic range, especially, is not good enough for for video in it. The the file format is compressed in a way that doesn't give you any headroom for editing and 
it's not nearly as sharp as well. If you look at it next to Sony footage, it basically looks like there is a blur filter over top. Like it is so much less sharp. It just feels like you can tell it's from another generation. It doesn't need 4K to me. No, I, I agree. It, it would be nice, but it doesn't need it. It needs like 13 stops of dynamic range, uh, some really flat format, some better compression algorithm that I can actually edit in post, and um, and sharp HD. Yeah. Oh, and uh, HD slow motion. That'd be great. Um, I would add a preamp that's actually usable, um, so you could (laughs) plug different mics in. Would be pretty sweet, and a tilt screen. Like for the love of God, Mm. like all these video centric DSLRs. Where I've started getting pretty used to it. I'm not. No, no, no. To used to having one, like on the G7X. The the tilt screen. Yeah, yeah. It's wonderful. Um, it but makes me used to being <laughs> to, to wishing it was there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm used to imagining it. Right. Um, but those are all those are all video things. Are there some stills issues? Well, I mean, it could use a bit, maybe a little better ISO performance now, just since everything's moved yeah, forward it's, a little. It's just lagging a little bit there. Yeah. Dynamic range is the big one that I do still hear people mm-hmm. complaining about quite a bit because um, they did. I mean, they brought out the five DSR, the exciting new right. Canon full frame camera. I, I didn't write. This is not on our list, actually. It's not because it's because <laughs> nobody cares. It's, yeah, they're really, really sharp images. Yeah, sharpness is not the interesting thing to talk about anymore. Like I, I was hoping that silence would last over this for so long. I'll insert some silence in post. Did he, did he say sharp? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just find people aren't caring that much anymore. No, um, no. I, 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 can I say that I still care? Yes, you can say that. <laughs> I still care about sharpness. Well, okay, well, yes, we care about sharpness. The, the thing is, it feels like it's we've conquered that. Yeah, like like we don't want to go backwards, but the yeah, that, the as long num- as we don't go backwards, we're good. The yes. number of lenses that were actually resolving fifty megapixels on that camera, I and mean, we were pulling out. Uh, those Otis lenses that are $5,000 a pop. Um, yeah. A couple of the Sigmas, uh, the art series, were doing it, but not much glass does. I think we're hitting a wall resolution-wise mm-hmm. with SL. And I mean, Cameron, with your 800, like I'm sure you're finding, like you're not hurting for resolution. Not with the right lenses. Exactly. But, I mean, if I use a lesser lens, then it's then it's way worse. Totally, yeah. And yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we're just hitting the point of diminishing returns. I mean, mm-hmm. lenses is where cool stuff is happening now as a result of this, which is great. But, you know, I, I do think they need to emphasize, like, great dynamic range is mm-hmm. great dynamic range with anything you throw in front of the right. camera. Yeah. Well, well, one camera that was interesting to me, uh, sorry, interesting is not the word, it's boring, but it's more modern, is the 7D Mark II, uh, released at the end of last year. Um, it's, it's great, right? It's, it's a great camera. Like it yeah. foc- it's the best focusing DSLR yeah. I've used. And I had the 7D Mark I, and I loved it. Yeah. Like I had the, the 5D Mark II and the 7D Mark I at the same time, and I would often prefer the, the 7D. Yeah. And I'm, I bet it would be the same situation if I had... Exact same thing. It's just, know. I mean, when we did our video, we took a Nikon D3300, which is now going for like 400 bucks, and shot it against the Canon 7D And in every aspect... Sharpness, dynamic range, high ISO, all that stuff. The four hundred dollar camera outperformed, it. and that's <laughs> oh, where Canon's really hurt. Like, it's great; it'll get shots. A lot of cameras can't because that focus is unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a dated image coming out of that. You know, mm-hmm. where, where are Rebels at? Are they? I mean, we're not talking about it, but yeah. they still it used to be for a long time. It was all I'd recommend to beginners. That was the gateway drug, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I had Seriously. a Rebel. Um, yeah, I'm sure you had a, like an early I've had digital many rebel. Rebels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, they're basically 7Ds now. Like they took mm-hmm. the, the um, focus system from the original 7D, which is great. That sounds pretty good. Uh, they updated the sensor, um, mm-hmm. which is better now. Um, mm. They're really good entry-level DSLRs. The problem is I don't see much of a market for entry-level DSLRs a lot of the time mm-hmm. now. Um, That's a great point. It was always the family shooter. It was like the mom, the pregnant mom. It was the classic example. It would come in like, I, want, I need to take good pictures now. Mm-hmm. You know, my mm-hmm. phone is not cutting it. Um, so they would walk out with a Rebel and a 50 mil lens. You know, that was always the thing. Where now they're all getting a Sony A6000 with one of their prime lenses or mm-hmm. a Panasonic G7, which is a brilliant little family shooter camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're not dragging around all the bulk. And if they want to record video, they're not waving the camera in front of their face. Um, cause <laughs> you can actually use the viewfinder for that. Um, like I think DSLRs, they're really useful tools for a lot of types of shooting, but it's more professional centric environments right. yeah. where they still have an advantage. Cameron, what about uh, Nikon this year? I've got written down the D750 and the D810, uh, and I don't know anything about either of these, but I've been told they are very good. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're wonderful cameras. Both of them are, are amazing, frankly. Um, the 750 is, you know, like I think the, the, the thing that bothers me about the 750 is that, like, in terms of uh, specs and usability and like the way it feels in your hands, it doesn't feel quite like a professional camera, mm-hmm. which is kind of a weird gripe to have. I think it doesn't really need to, but when you're holding the 810, you're like, oh no, this is a real camera. <laughs> but um, the 750 is is one of the finest performing cameras I think that's on the market, and the color that comes from it is astounding, and the low light performance is unreal. And Nikon themselves say it's the it's the best sensor that they've ever had in their cameras mm. and uh yeah i think it's you know just on paper and and looking at the files that come from it especially are really sexy files yeah i think it's the most well-rounded dslr out there yeah. right now you get like top of the line autofocus amazing sensor mm-hmm. it is a smaller lighter body but i've really come to love that um mm-hmm. you know i'm not tip- i'm not a photographer is usually throwing a 70 to 200 on i'm a big you know, uh, I think it's because I'm a video guy. Twenty four to eighty five is my wheelhouse, and it balances really well with a standard zoom or a nice prime. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it has the tilt screen. A you know professional DSLR with the tilt screen. It's Canon said it couldn't be done, <laughs> <laughs> but there it is. I used to I used to talk against tilt screens. Like I used to think it shouldn't be on professional DSLRs, and I've changed my mind. Yeah, well, there's now it's time to change your mind because you know now there are like we've realized applications where it makes sense, and also that the way that the focus works within Live View is oftentimes a lot better than it is with within the viewfinder. Yeah, I was using the Panasonic, or, sorry, the Pentax, which mm-hmm. I want to make sure we don't miss the Pentax six four five Z, which has the tilt screen and is very much a professional camera. And I found myself like looking down at it most of the time because the focus, yeah, like you're saying, Cameron. Is almost the same. Yeah, through mm-hmm. through the and it's, view, and it's more view. accurate generally with a DSLR. If you're looking through that live view, you're getting the image off the sensor. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if it says it's in focus, it's in focus. So if I'm doing, you know, like um, product photography or landscape, yeah, I mean, exactly. Then it's it's great. You know, you're bang on. If you just and punch I've in come, and, I've come to trust that. Yeah. Quite a bit more, and like you know, I think that um, you know, when I'll talk about this in a, in, a, in, a, in more detail in a minute. But the um, you know, I'm using the D800 for scanning my film now, 
and you know I'm using Live View to focus. So like I'm going to Live View, I'm I'm getting all the way to like a hundred percent of the pixels, so I can actually see the grain. Um, it reminds me of of printing in the darkroom. Oh yeah, that that does sound really great. Yeah, and then it's like you know that you're you know I mean you, you can have, you have that confidence. Yeah, that it's in focus. There's no yeah. question there where. Um, yeah, I've been testing the Nikon's new 2470 VR lens, and mm-hmm. and if you micro adjust it for one focal length, it'll might throw out the other another focal length. So you've got to tweak it for that. And you know, if you focus close, suddenly it's different than it was when you're focused close to infinity. So you got to look at that, and you don't have to worry about any of that stuff with live view. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think getting really good live view autofocus should be a huge priority for Canon and Nikon. And mm-hmm. um, and Canon figured it out. This is It drives me crazy. The 70D and the 7D2, mm-hmm. great live view autofocus, but it's not working its way to any of their professional cameras. Well, just the consumer stuff. <laughs> because it doesn't seem like a professional need, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is hysterical now. It will be. Because- I mean, listening to this episode <laughs> next year, we're going to be laughing at ourselves because they'll have fixed everything and all these features will be on all of the cameras we want. I think I said that last year. <laughs> Here we are. Right. Yeah. And all we got was a bunch of new lenses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and before we move on, uh, I, I don't want to blow past the Pentax. Uh, the, the thought I have about the Pentax six four five ZZ is that um, I want this to mean we're about to enter an era where normal professionals can start considering medium formats, um, like realistically, consider adding it to their stable of cameras as an alternative option, which would have been more realistic in the film days. Like it went, yeah. the price jump would not have been as significant as it has been. Yeah. And it shouldn't have to be. I don't think, I think that most people running a studio should be able to have a medium format and an SLR mm-hmm. available for what they need. Um, the, the price of it is amazing and the quality is incredible. And uh, yeah, it, I, th- I think it's a really good sign. And I hope, I hope one more, brand maybe enters this market. Um, well, here's, I mean, first of all, I think every photographer should have that choice of that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. That, that There is a very different look to media. I mean, they, like Cameron, I'm sure you're finding that um, running around with your Mamiya now, right? Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's a tool that we should have access to, and it's been kind of taken away from us for the longest time. But I well, think it's, it's a curious thing, too, because there, you know, it's, it's, a, it, it's not like it replaces 35 millimeter. No, format. exactly. It's just a different aesthetic. It's a different taste, and so for some things, it, it really makes things look way more interesting. Yeah, and for other things, it's too much information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I don't know any commercial shooters with a medium format that don't have a DSLR. It just almost never goes the other way. Right. Uh, here's my thinking, and I, I think this could totally change the marketplace: is if Sigma starts making glass for medium format or Tamron, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> because what kills you right now, like the Pentax, is a reasonably priced body. But if you want like one of their new, really good premium lenses, mm-hmm. you're still looking at the old medium format price of five to seven thousand dollars for right. that lens. Um, you know that you strap on your eighty five hundred dollar body. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you get some Sigma art glass that's a thousand to two thousand. Now it's a viable system. Um, so if they jump on that, I think that could really shake up the marketplace. Uh, someone else bringing out a camera as well, I think, would be great. But you know, Leica jumped into medium format a few years ago. Uh, we thought that would shake it up until you see that all their lenses are still, you know. Ten to fifteen grand yeah, for the leaf I, I shutter version. Like is not going to be the brand yeah. to make this. Uh, yeah, how how could you expect anything else? Really, 
You know, whenever Leica does something cheap, I'm always really suspect. It's Panasonic (laughs) if that happens. (laughs) Like, wait, why am I going to pay a lot more for something that's not as good as everything else? We've also got the Olympus OMD uh, in this part of the list. Yeah. So, uh, Cameron, do you add that in? Yeah, I put it in because uh, I I've been chatting recently with with a couple people who've been who swear by these things, and you know uh, just technology wise, there's some interesting things going on. So they they have the uh, and you know really honestly, Jordan, I'm hoping that you have some uh, some more information to to share with this, but I'm just going to kind of launch it. Um, you know, but the uh, five axis internal image stabilization yeah. system is is a real interesting thing. It works, yeah, it works crazy well. Like, um, you know, using a, we were using a 75 mil lens on that, which is equivalent to 150 full mm-hmm. frame. And I was popping shots at like half second, quarter second exposures. And, you know, not all of them were sharp, but some of them were. Um, yeah, but is, any of them were. So, like, yeah, there it's you crazy go. compared to like lens based stabilization. It seems a whole lot more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also really like, uh, I don't know if you've seen on the new uh, EM5, they're doing this thing where, it takes an image eight times and just shifts it one pixel between every okay, exposure. Okay, so that's that's actually what I was looking for. Yeah, and, it's really and, cool. Yeah, because that's that's what was being shown to me just recently by my friends, and maybe it wasn't the OMD. Was it the EM5? Is that what it is? Uh, EM5 two. Yeah, it's the OMD. This is the name of their camera. It's the Olympus OMD EM5 Mark II. Like, okay. they're as bad as Sony for naming, which makes sense because uh, Sony bought a chunk of Olympus so they could extend their terrible naming conventions. It seems, but uh, the uh, right. So, so the, here's here's the thing that I picked up from it. Right? Is that like it's is this a Micro Four Thirds? Is that right? Yeah, Micro Four Thirds. So it's a small camera. It it weighs really almost nothing, mm-hmm. and the lenses are you know they're the Zucchio lenses. They're really high quality, but they're also Super compact. Yeah, they weigh nothing. Right. And so like you have like an amazing system with amazing lenses at a very, very like like I'm gonna say amazing third time yeah. <laughs> price. Yeah. Because the price is really attractive to me. And then um, you know, you consider this and you think about like that how it shifts the one pixel and then you can or the you know, whatever that is. And then it allows you to to build up a very large photo, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you end up with like a, a forty megapixel photo? Yeah, it, sa- it saves it as a forty five megapixel image. But mm-hmm. uh, when we were testing that, we grabbed a six four five Z as well, and the Olympus image was sharper, um, right? Because it's using all the color information from every one of those pixels as well as the resolution. Yeah, and so there's another thing in there, right? That apparently it, um, when it, whenever you're doing these these bracketed shots, so like if you're doing the the bracketed shots at a high ISO, it's it's replacing the the crappy pixels with the better pixels in in, in the subsequent yeah in the, shots. in the next layer because usually it's you know your grain's not always in the same place in every shot right. or so your, if you're, your noise yeah. If you're if you're somebody that shoots on a tripod a lot, this this camera sounds like. Well, why would you use anything else? Because totally. you can use a smaller tripod, mm-hmm. and um, because of the weight of this system. So if you're like a landscape shooter, you normally you wouldn't think like, oh yeah, Micro Four Thirds is exactly what I need. But after I was looking at this, I was just like, wait a minute, yeah, this is this changes everything, and and from from you know from how I'm looking at it. Because you can get these massive files with amazing detail and sharpness, and the camera is tiny and affordable. 
Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's the type of photography where usually you want that really high resolution, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like landscape or reproduction or architecture or something like that. It's fine if the shot's static. It does, the disadvantages, you still can't use it for like portraiture or something like that. Right. It wouldn't be a really high res image because people are, it takes about like a second and a half to click through the whole thing. Right. So, you know, no one's going to be that still for that long and still get that kind of resolution. But for everything else, like, it's really cool technology. Uh-huh. And what's cool and- is uh, Pentex sounds like they're going to do a version of that in an upcoming full-frame camera. So if Ooh. it's this good on, uh, you know, a 16-megapixel micro four-thirds chip on a full-frame camera, you're going to mm-hmm. be getting, like, you know, equivalent to, like, 100, 150-megapixel images off this thing. It's So... In in lieu of everything that we've been talking about, and this being our last, why aren't more people talking about this this technology? Uh, because there were no, I mean, there's the um, EM52's uh, shot stitching, but there's nothing else really going on in that system right now. I think is a big part of it. Mm. Um, you know, the EM1, there was a lot of people talking about it, which is kind of their pro camera, even though their lower cameras are now way more advanced than that one. <laughs> uh, it doesn't it doesn't make much sense to me, but uh, it is really odd because you know you could grab an EM five two with a bag of those little Zyko lenses, and you'll get you know equivalent results to you know, a lot of the full frame cameras. Yeah, you'll get amazing photos, and you won't die on the journey. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you were taking the six four five Z or an eight ten system with with you know pro glass. You'd be you'd be dying. You'd, you'd be, be dying. broken. I'm, yes. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna admit it. Like I'm not in the best shape. <laughs> I would die. <laughs> so this to me looks like quite an attractive thing for the um, you know the extreme landscape photographer. Yeah, I, I extreme landscaping. That'll be yeah. our next YouTube series. <laughs> uh, I was just playing with the RX1R the whole time you guys were talking, and it's pretty great. It's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> just wanted to say. Yeah. I just want to stop everything and say this thing's awesome, and I understand completely why it costs three thousand dollars. <laughs> I was pretty distracted by it actually. So, uh, <laughs> um, but I also want to make sure that uh, we get to cinema cameras because I also don't know if Jordan, are you on a time limit? Do you need to bail out at a certain uh, time here today? I got a half hour. Okay, cool. Well, let's uh, let's touch on that now because. Maybe you and I are the only ones that care about it. So uh, yeah, let's do it quickly here. <laughs> I want to make sure that it fits in because, unfortunately, there's actually the most to say about this. I think it's been a big year. Yeah. Um, so, like, we could, I mean, we could we could talk this whole episode about video cameras. There's been so many great things, like really interesting things and new things and more options. For me, there are are a lot of reasons that I have been, especially the lack of a 5D Mark IV, that I've been considering getting a dedicated video camera next year mm-hmm. instead of just renting. Yeah. When, basically what I've done for the last year is use the 5D for simple projects. And when I have clients that are you know looking for something nicer, I'll rent either a A7S or a, a FS7. Yeah. But next year I'll probably buy something. And there are so many choices. It's actually really difficult because there's so many great cameras out right now yeah it's it's been an interesting year like i usually use one camera and stick with it mm-hmm. uh, like i used an fs 700 for like two and a half years uh where it seems like every project this year i'm like oh this is a really cool new camera i need to go <laughs> right, I need to, to mess shoot this with it, with it. Yeah. yeah um and yeah it's changed like usually i would say like oh the new cameras they're making things more convenient and stuff like that but they're actually changing the way that i shoot mm-hmm. uh, like for the first time in years, I did a narrative this summer. Um, went and did a film. Uh, I DP'd it, 
And we're out shooting in the middle of nowhere, and we just out of the blue get crazy northern lights. Um, cool. Like, just amazing. It's like the most vivid ones I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have the big FS7. Um, so we just, the director and I just made a decision and we threw all the lights back in the van mm-hmm. and grabbed an A7S and just shot the entire sequence at 50,000 ISO. Cool. And they're lit by the Northern Lights wow. while they're running around in this chase scene. Yeah. Um, and that's what's really exciting to me right, right. now is that's a sequence we could, it was, like, would not have been do. an option, of course. It, yeah. Like a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, and now the A7S2 is out and it's even more sensitive. Um, yeah. Well, so uh, th- that's the one that I want to maybe spend. No, there's two. There's two I want to spend the most time on: okay. A7S Mark II and the FS5, uh, which are both from Sony because they do everything cool. Because <laughs> that's the theme this year. Uh, the FS5, I'm, I'm a little confused about it. It looks like you know a, a little brother to the FS7 that would be. Well, I guess I imagined it would be more affordable. Take away a few features. It's more compact, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is still quite expensive. Yeah. Um, how does it fit into the? Well, the size is a big too. part of it because that's one thing that can be a downer with the FS7. Like on that same film, the FS7 was our main camera, and I put it on a gimbal and spent an entire day shooting with it, and mm-hmm. it destroyed my. Like Cameron yeah, was talking about, like the thing that kills you. Yeah, yeah. that was the thing that killed me. Um, <laughs> And yeah, that smaller form factor is wonderful on it, but yeah. it does a couple things that are also you know you won't see on the FS7. Um, the biggest one for me is it has a completely stepless electronic neutral density filter yeah, on it. That's uh, a great idea. It's really interesting, and it's most useful for cinema. But for if someone puts this on a still camera too, hmm, yeah. like a landscape shooter who can just dial in. I want this shutter speed. I want this aperture. I want to shoot it at 100 ISO, and then this little ND filter will steplessly give me perfect exposure. So, what is is it? Is this a software thing, or is it there a hardware? There is a an LCD display embedded on the um, the ND filter that pops up, and the amount of electricity it pushes through it adjusts how that bright is it is. Crazy. It's crazy, and yeah, you cool. can you can take a lens off and watch it, and it's nuts. Um, but what that means is, you know, for filmmaking, you can just, you know, say I'm doing a tracking shot. Mm-hmm. I can just say, oh, I want f4.5, so I've got a safety net here with my depth of field. I know my native sensitivities, you know, on that camera, it's 2000 ISO. Um, my shutter speed's a 48th of a second, and I can just ride that little yeah. ND dial the whole time and get yeah, smooth exposure really shifts. It changed. I was talking to a guy who, um, Keith Partridge, who shot, if you've ever seen Touching the Void, it's like an amazing documentary. Um, I, I haven't. It, it's, I've it, heard the name, but I don't. Re- a great doc. But he he's also it. does like uh, Human Planet, Planet Earth, Life, okay. all those. He's yeah. one of their shooters. Awesome. And he was saying this could like totally change the way that he works. Cool. Um, you know, never have to bring around a regular broadcast camera ever mm-hmm. again. Does the does it keep up with the FS7 in terms of file quality? Though, I mean, is it like less bit depth and less color depth, or what's at, the story there? At 1080, it's a lower data rate, but it's the exact same color depth, bit depth, and everything. Okay, it's just it's not drawing every frame independently. Okay. So if you've got a really busy frame, you might lose some quality, mm-hmm. but I shot a lot of stuff to test that, and I didn't have any issues. Okay. Uh, 4K is not as good as the mm-hmm. FS7. It doesn't grade quite as well. It's still really, it's like an A7S II 4K okay. file. It's good, but you can't just sit there with a colorist all day and have 80 different options with the files. You've got to shoot sure. it how you want it to look a little bit. Right. And let's talk about the A7S Mark II a bit. Uh, so this is the main camera I'm looking at. Um, it brings stabilization, which uh, I mean, we touched on before. I don't know if we got into it with the A7R Mark II, but this is such a big deal. Like, 
I am so, this makes so much more sense to me than putting it into every lens, which yeah. I, I understand why Canon ended up there because the technology wasn't available to stabilize the sensor when they committed. Well, there was, you so, couldn't stabilize the film back when they exactly, did the first time right. stuff. Yeah. So, um, this is only something you can do when you reinvent a line. Yeah. Um, but it's a great idea. It means that everything is stabilized all the time. Yeah. All your and, adapted glass. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, Cameron, you touched on the Olympus five axis stabilization mm-hmm. and I still think they have the best system, but uh, you know, Sony bought a good chunk of Olympus, and I think this tech is something they got out of that because mm. um, it is really, really effective on that mm-hmm. uh, for handheld work. And that's the great, like with an A7S2, I don't want to carry a tripod or a giant monopod around. You know, it's a small, discreet camera. It's mm-hmm. great to go shoot, you know, on the streets or an event, and you look like a photographer. Yeah. Uh, and that stabilization really helps you out with that a lot. Um, but the biggest thing that almost no one's talking about, the, the main reason I love that camera is they put a LUT in it. So I can be recording a right. log file, but yeah. I'm looking at a nice graded, you know, it's, I'd say a little too so, punchy, a little too contrasty. But for any photographers that don't know what we're talking about, when you yeah. want to basically shoot raw in video, you shoot things in a really flat, and not in a technical term, flat meaning like, like not a lot of contrast, right? No like contrast, the image no looks saturation. Yeah, like it looks really washed out and, um, and you add that back in in post, but that's the way to preserve data and get extra dynamic range. So the issue is when you're shooting, typically you can't tell what the image will look like ahead of time, and now in the A7S Mark II you're saying you can add a little preset, basically like an image preset, while you're shooting to preview the contrasty image, but it still records that nice flat one. And where the big difference there is, is it's way easier to manually focus because uh, you've got this punchy, contrasty image, where if you've tried to manually focus a flat image, I'm sure you've noticed it's way, way harder oh, than yeah, with a definitely. Canon or an Icon or something like that. It's harder to light. It's hard. Everything yeah. gets harder. Yeah, you like, don't know what your exposure really looks like. You don't know what the shadows versus highlights. Yeah, everything. when I'm lighting a scene, it's so irritating to have to like take my head off the viewfinder, mm-hmm. see where the shadows are actually falling on my subject. Yeah, because on the log mm-hmm. file, you can't see how you're lighting the scene. It's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I really fought with that in the last movie. We had a monitor with LUTs, but sometimes we had to move quickly and couldn't right. set that up. So it made my job a lot more difficult. So, uh, so it's great there. One other thing I quickly mm-hmm. want to throw in, if you're curious about log and LUTs, uh, we just put up a video uh, tutorial. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, to log for photographers. And it got on no film school, and they weren't monsters to me, which was really <laughs> nice, because those people can be savages. Well, it's a... I mean... <laughs> Understanding that stuff is so valuable, and I still think that this this might have been a year ago that I started talking about this. But like, I want LUTs to just become standardized. Mm-hmm. I would love to see it become a stills thing, and love to see it be more of a crossover. I want apps on my phone that apply LUTs. I want LUTs to just take over because they're it's it's one thing where video guys have a real leg up because yeah. you know Cameron saying like ah that color from the Sony still, but if you know a LUT was out there like I drop a Canon LUT on my Sony cameras mm-hmm. and I have Canon color and contrast, you know, yeah. um, and it hasn't worked its way over to the photo yeah. side yet, which seems well, odd. And the other issue is that it's still not simple, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot a- of different brands taking different approaches that, you know, they're, they're doing great jobs. It's not that they're doing a poor job, but it's not obvious which path to pursue. So, you know, we need somebody like Adobe to kind of unify this or, or make it more mainstream. I'd say they'd be, yeah, the most likely people to do that. Yeah. 
and they've taken steps. I mean, the way that they int- integrated into Lumetri. And, yeah. Okay, so we're, we're, we're Cameron, going on. Cameron's t- back. Too long about this already, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I uh, also want to say the Canon C300 Mark II is, what, very good and very boring and expensive? It's all of those things, yeah. yeah I'm testing it now. Uh, that'll be up fairly soon. But, yeah, it's a great camera. Yeah. And it's way too much money. And when there's an FS7 out there. Yeah, especially. totally. That's half the price. And the design of it, they learn nothing over the last like four years. It's still, if you see it fully assembled, it's this box with wires poking all over it, like just waiting to be caught on a light stand or a gimbal or <laughs> right. that weird form. Factor. Like it's supposed to be a field shooter's camera, but if you guys were shooting, you know, as a photographer and you had like nine sync cables coming off your camera, mm-hmm. then everybody would be wondering what the hell you're doing. But for some reason we put up with it with That's the C series cameras. It's yeah. I don't want to miss black magic. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're out yet. I was trying to find, people reviewing it and very few people have held on to the ursa mini at this point but um i'm still hopeful i I don't know like this could this could be a big deal this could be a alternative to the fs7 for a lot less money i think right Mm -hmm. well the uh, ursa mini 4k is out but Mm -hmm. nobody wants it because it's the older sensor yeah uh, so it's the the 4.5 they're waiting for yeah the four point the four point um yeah six k six um version is coming it looks really interesting but knowing black magic i'm assuming they're just gonna slip review copies out and then actually launch it at maybe in april so, okay. so it's not part enough. of 2015 i hope it's part of 2016 yeah. but they don't have the best reputation for that right. so we'll see but it was an interesting announcement for sure i mean if it th- lives up to the specs it's incredible yeah and even what we've seen like okay the black magic pocket cam is getting pretty old but it's had beautiful images for a long time that it seems like everybody struggles with it like there's a lot of obstacles to shoot with this camera but every time i see somebody shooting with it like the image yeah. is really beautiful like something that we've been fighting for with every other camera up until now but yeah. it's this weird cheap yeah it's i i liken uh, it to it's, it's so like the 8 by 10 field camera of video <laughs> right like, if you want to fight if with you it, can then. if you battle with it for hours you can have a beautiful image yeah. but like the battery life's terrible it falls apart all the time so, i mean i'm hoping for yeah. 2016 there's an update i'd love to see a round two of it that they f- fix issues and, and mm-hmm. update a few things it's a great idea yeah we'll see what happens um okay well Oh, and the GH4 still exists and people shoot on it. And it has Vlog now and Vlog's lovely. Right. So if you have a GH4, spend $100 and get Vlog. And watch my video on how to work with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's that's it for, for cinema stuff. So there we go. Okay. You can come back. Uh, yeah. uh, All right, photographers. <laughs> yeah, welcome back. Um, <laughs> you should put that in the show notes. Like you <laughs> yeah, you can give, skip ahead. If you don't care about video at all, skip this portion. Um, Cameron, <laughs> tell us about film. Uh, I, put, I put a whole section in here. You have you've already said a few things about the film toaster that you're in love with, but I'm yes. sure you have more to say. Yeah, so um, the film. To- I mean, okay, so first of all, there's not like a lot of new products in films, so it's not like there's a lot to talk about. But um, but the resurgence is still there. You know, I, I the think, resurgence is there. I think yeah. it was our fir- the first episode we recorded was: Is film actually back? Is this a real thing? Is it going to stay? Right. It's a year later, and it is definitely still here. Yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. we're seeing a huge uptick at it at the yeah. store. Like. Fuji, we were talking to those guys, and their most profitable thing right now is instant film. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, like more so than like the X series or Amazing. anything that everybody's talking. It's yeah, film is back oh, in a big wow. way. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? That's really interesting. Hmm. We'll let you yeah. gloat for like thirty <laughs> seconds, <you know? laughs> and then it'll be back to why are you shooting film? Yeah. I don't know how long. Uh, I, don't, I still don't think it's going to last forever. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that it is not fading at all like it seems to be picking up momentum so. well it comes back to that medium format thing like i just think photographers should have as many 
options of media as possible. Yeah. So it's great to see something that looked like it might be disappearing, making, you know, it might be a temporary comeback, but it's certainly, you know, it's been interesting to watch. But a huge issue is scanning. I mean, yeah. this is, yep. it's not conquered, I, but you're, you've found a step on the way, Cameron. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the, First couple steps into that were very tense and scary because uh, the film toaster is what I'm using, and it's not cheap. You know, it's it's kind of like um, making that justification for for buying the Gitzo tripod. You know, you're thinking about it, and you're like, wait, well, I can get other ones that are also carbon carbon fiber, very light and very well made. They're a lot cheaper. So, what's the deal? Like, why am I paying this much money for this product? And, uh, you know, I, I think that there are still arguments, arguments to be made about the film toaster and, and what the, the cost is. But then when you, when you consider the fact that this is a product that wasn't really made for me, it wasn't made for, you know, any, uh, you know, general photographer, it was, it was, it's an archival tool. And, um, you know, it was made for, for like a lot of use, for heavy use. Mm-hmm. And um, it's made for, for um, creating large files, not just, you know, just like the Pack-On obviously is, is a thing that, that gained a lot of uh, popularity in the past couple of years. And it's, it's a great tool. It delivers beautiful scans with, with great color and it's really fast. But the, the trade-off is that the files that you get are very small. Mm. Um, they're only six megapixels, and so and you can't do anything beyond that. So I think if this home market, if these like at home tools can advance quickly enough, mm-hmm. that's what could keep film alive in the long run. Yeah. Like if something like a film toaster comes way down in cost, and there's some software solutions to make it easy to get your colors to where you need to, mm-hmm. this this could keep it alive, you know. And also maybe maybe those like there was a new video the other day of a home color processing lab that like mixes your tanks automatically. Yeah. I don't know. Uh-huh. Think, you, that thing's well, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> things like that could really keep it from disappearing, I think. Well, I'm really optimistic because there is such a resurgence in people shooting film, but it's a really frustrating process. You're sending it out to subpar labs or you're doing your research. Yeah, or paying a lot a for good labs. Premium, yeah, for a good lab. Yeah. Um, and I think people are either going to, if it stays where it is, people are going to get frustrated eventually and mm-hmm. it's going to slow things down where if somebody can kind of grab the ball and, you know, get a good starter solution for like a, an excellent film scan, even if it's just like a 35 to start, totally. um, yeah. there's a huge market for that and they would do very well. And then mm-hmm. we would just start seeing things spiral out of that. Yeah. I mean, I st- I'm still impressed how popular vinyl is right now. Like I know vinyl right. really made a resurgence and it's still happening. It hasn't disappeared. A new record store just opened up in town. So, yeah. and you know, I, I have, I have my own theories about why that's the case with, with and it's very similar with film and vinyl because those are both things that I love, but I also love digital music and I also love digital photography. So um, I think it's it's about the experience. That's it's the craft. Yeah, you know, it's it's the you know what do you what are the steps that you take to create a, a final image with film? Um, for me, that means that you know uh, shooting it on film, which means shooting slower and more uh, intentionally, I guess when it, when that's really an option. Sometimes it's just about you know candidly snapping, you know, but it's not like candidly snapping hundreds of pictures it's mm-hmm. candidly lifting a couple that seem really appropriate so um it's it's kind of a it's a discipline thing mm-hmm. um for me as as well as it is a an aesthetic 
So, you know, the, the next thing is being um, the types of colors that you can get. So I think that when you're comparing, you know, like for instance, if I'm comparing um, film images against the images that I get from my Nikon DF, like in most cases, I'm going to say that the Nikon has a better image quality that the DF does. You know, uh, it's really kind of hard to dispute that. But, you know, when you're talking about aesthetic qualities that are really kind of hard to define and put your finger on, there's something about film grain that, you know, it just, it, it creates an image that has kind of a more ethereal quality to it that, for some reason, it triggers like a response when people see it, and a lot of that response is is from memory or nostalgia. Um, but it it triggers a response that that has a more tactile and and kind of uh, I hate to say real because I don't know what real means anymore. But it almost feels more real in terms of the way that we remember things. And so, you know, film has these qualities, and you know, I think that when you're a photographer, especially now when you know the the competition for any any subject that you're shooting in is is fierce it doesn't matter what you're shooting and um you know because everything has become even though we have all these different photographers or uh, cameras that we have been talking about on the show um in the end there's only you know so many software programs and so many um presets or or other you know methods of of software that you might use to get a finished image that people are are actually using because there's only so many that are actually recognized as being very good, mm-hmm. and so it's not nearly as is wide of a of a net as film has been in the past and and potentially could be. Well, um, I was saying to you the other day, Cameron, that I'd love to see Adobe step up their film emulation, their grain emulation a little bit. They did a really good job at some point. I don't remember when, but when they mm-hmm. adjusted it, it got quite nice. Like it is much better in Lightroom than anything else. Totally. Yeah. But it could get better for sure. And it would be really nice if they spent some time thinking about it and really getting a, a very organic film feeling. Yeah. Well, and also uh, saturated reds have always been a problem too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, I have a lot of things that, I need to, if you do, if you open up the complaints about what Adobe needs to deal with, yeah, <laughs> right. You know, okay, wait. I want to. I had a specific thing I wanted to bring up before I forget, and it's that mm-hmm. Adobe needs to split their HSL sliders into either finer granularity or allow you to customize them the way that you can in the HSL panel in Photoshop. Photoshop yeah. um, this needs to be in the raw tool. It has to be. There are so many issues you run into by having preset. Uh, barriers on each side of your colors, especially in the red and orange channel. Like, why skin tone is the most important thing? Why do we have Mm -hmm. equal sliders for the red and orange and yellow that sometimes hit skin? Um, That they get equal attention to magenta and purple, which are in (laughs) so few images, but they have equal sliders. Like, you can make it more granular at different points, and you should. Yeah. So, uh, actually, and I mean, that's something that I was noticing. Capture One, I think, has done is you can. Wait, is this true? I think yeah. I think you can like define the width of yeah, you like can. the bandwidth of each uh, yeah of each channel. And yeah. I haven't played with it too much, but I've seen that. I'm still kind of dabbling on the Capture One side right now, but. Um, I think that's one of the points that Capture One users bring up most often is is the ability to to customize your colors. Well, let's get into our software section then. Um, 
because Capture One is at the top of that, and we've, we were talking about it lately, and we finally got somebody who's used it. So. Yeah, um, great thing if you grab a Sony camera, they come with a Sony-only license for Capture One. So it's only going to support Sony cameras if you bring that in there, but it's a full version of it. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I've messed around. I've got Lightroom there, but I thought, well, let's try this out, because people are talking about it a lot. And I found I had to mess around a lot less with the Capture One files, bringing it straight in. They have a really nice film tone uh, that's available right on import, and I've been using that for almost everything. Film, film tone's like a preset, like a uh, just a yeah, color. Yeah, it's, it's like a color, color preset, justice. but it does it right on import. And uh, I've been applying it to like all my Sony images, and I'm really the difference on skin tones has been really noticeable. And I can get that in Lightroom, but it's it's certainly more work. Um, uh, the capture one, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have the plug-in support certainly, and I don't find the interface as sexy as Lightroom, but uh, or just, it's just usable. Yeah, it's that's that's my that was my issue is that I, I stepped into it and kind of went like, oh crap, now what? Yeah, it took me a little, and basically I found I'm use if I want to do any heavy lifting, it's still going to go into Lightroom, mm-hmm. but when I just want to bring it in and do some quick adjustments, especially like we were mentioning in terms of skin tones and things like that, I've just found it's less work with Capture One. Well, this is time for them to give it attention to now that we've lost Aperture. Yeah, you know we we shouldn't just have one option. I mean, I do like I do recommend Lightroom to everybody. It's it's my preferred thing, but I don't want there to only be one mm-hmm. piece of software out there doing this. Like somebody needs to be pushing the others to do it. Adobe wouldn't have created Lightroom if uh, Apple hadn't made Aperture. Right. Like these companies all push each other. We need it. And I think it's really great that people are saying, well, I really like the way Capture One processes color because that's going to force Adobe to up their game in that regard as well. So it is nice that there's a strong suit in uh, Capture One. Now, that being said, I can only point that out as regarding Sony files. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I haven't really messed around because I really like how Lightroom handles files from pretty much everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would want to mess around with that, but I also don't want to pay the license fee to be able to use other cameras with yeah, it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> well, spe- speaking of Apple as well, they released Photos this year. I mean, they killed Aperture. They released the dedicated Photos app. Yep. Uh, I'm guessing neither of you use it. That's just a guess. If I plug a card in, I can't make it go away because every time you reformat Format a card, card yep. it makes it your default. Has everyone again. else listening experienced <sighs> this? Because yes. I've searched <laughs> for tutorials on how to disable it, and everybody's like, oh, just click the checkbox. Like, well, yeah. obviously, none of you are professionals because every time you format yeah. a card, you yeah. reset yeah. that setting. Oh. I, probably the first 10 times I clicked that, just, I was just like, wait a minute, why is this not I keep taking? I keep clicking it, hopefully, that something, <laughs> somehow it'll There'll stick. There'll be, like, in one of those software updates, they'll have the magical click and it stays, but yeah. it has not happened yet. So It's almost like, it's it's like the card itself needs an identity. Yeah, yeah, but you, but it does, and then you format it. Yeah. Uh, so I, li- <laughs> I listen to a lot of um, Apple people talk about Apple things. And most of them are not photographers, so they are not talking about it from a professional perspective. But they have all said very favorable things about you know Apple Photos has improved the algorithm a lot, so that really easily you can get great image quality out of it. You know what? It's not very great. The processing is not up to par with Adobe's at all. The it, it the, the, just try the exposure sliders. Yeah. Just try to do the same exposure adjustments in uh, iOS photos or desktop photos. It looks. Nowhere near as good as Lightroom, Photoshop, or VSCO, Visco, um, are all much better at dealing with the basics, exposure and white balance. 
I'm glad you tested it. Thank you for because now I don't yeah. have to. That's great. You just took a bullet for both of us. But what I've heard from everyone is that it has done much better at syncing. So if you're looking at just ways of managing your iPhone photos, um, they have somewhat solved it. It has gotten much much better, uh, which Apple's always kind of been bad at is is dealing with uh, cloud services. So. Um, it, it seems like they've, that's so curious too. It's yeah. like, how could you be so bad at this? Yeah, I know. I also just want to say again, Mastin Labs is still up there for me for presets. Yeah, I still use it all the time. I want Mastin Labs movie presets. Make that happen. Totally. Yeah, LUTs. Hey, if they I, were LUTs, we could use it everywhere. I, right? I love like I've got a few Fuji LUTs that I absolutely love, mm-hmm. but they still don't look like the Mastin Labs for photos. Yeah. So, make that happen. Um, so, I I still have quite a lot of love for Mastin as well, but I think that like I'm just going to have to throw this in just because this is my nature, I guess, but um I think that like with Mastin Labs if you're shooting outdoors, it's always killer. You know, but once you take it into a little bit, you know, indoors or different contexts that are not like just portraits outside, uh, I find it to be a little bit harder. Well, studio lit indoors is also okay. It's mostly the amount of shadows. I, I Uh I think is what you're getting at. That I mean, that's how I think of it. It's like Mm -hmm. if too if too much of the image is dark, the contrast starts looking a little crazy. Yeah, and the colors shift in a weird way, yeah. in a in a very unnatural way. Yeah. So which I, is not. I basically that's when I shift away from Mastin to uh, Visco. Like yeah. So if you're working with general, would you say as a rule, like if you're working with daylight kind of mm-hmm. light sources? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you think it's more color temperature? Because I haven't found too many issues, but I also don't shoot that much available light photography. I, f- I find the main issues connected to a lot. contrast, yeah. and that part of what makes Mastin Labs look better and more interesting than the others is how it deals with contrast, but that doesn't respond well to dark images. Okay. So it just, it kind of gets a little confused. Hmm. Um, I have some things that I change in the preset to work around that sometimes. So I find if you turn the contrast down a bit and also in the tone curve, bring up the shadows, hmm. um, that can resolve the issue. Sometimes, I, th- I think I've just developed a habit shooting video over the longest time where I always tend to slightly overexpose all my images because mm-hmm. that's what you'd be doing with video. And of course, with right. still files, there's enough latitude you can generally save that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I haven't run it. But again, I'm doing a lot more video than photography these right. days. So uh, I've been loving the color and I just want it on my moving images. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when, let me just, let me, hold yeah, on. Yeah, before, yeah, we, yeah. before we jump off that, I'll, I will say that like the, uh, the Ilford pack for Mastin Labs is, is probably the best thing to ever come out of a preset. Yeah, that's actually totally worth drawing attention to. It is now the only black and white preset I go to. I don't even touch the, I never touch VSU. I haven't played anymore. with it. No. And, yeah. and, and that's the, really the big point is that like when you, whenever I've tried to compare, like I, I just, I, I've now stopped mm-hmm. because I've compared them all and I'm like, nope, no need. Yeah. Hmm. Everything yeah. I need is right here. Yeah. The, the only things interesting. The, the only interesting difference is that sometimes VSCO will give you a more punchy, dramatic, soon-to-be-dated look. Mm. Like, they yep. have a few over-the-top <laughs> looks that sometimes you put it on, you're like, oh, that's kind of fun, but you're less likely to regret the Ilford pack. Right. It's really, it's the, the best thing to process black and white, totally. I'll check it out. Yep. We, uh, I, we also put Lumenzio on the list, I think, you know, because, well, Cameron, you've been excited about it. I have liked using it. Um, you know, I think we talked about it quite a bit last show. We'll talk about it more to come, but since our time is ticking by, let's jump to lenses. Yeah. Okay. I don't did have, did you buy any new lenses this year? Did I? 
I don't think so. No, okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think is, I did. Wait, is my wife in the room? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just trying to think. I mean, I've been looking at lenses and I've thought about it, but I, uh, I didn't buy anything. Um, and it's gotten, it's gotten a bit harder to shop for lenses too, because there have become more good options. There's a lot of lens options out it. there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in cinema, there's tons of like affordable options that are not the, the main brands. Yeah. I, I mean, I've talked these up a lot, um, mm. you know, outside of this, but the new Vedra cinema lenses are just stunning. Which stunning I forget lenses. about every time you tell me, so I've never even looked into them, but you keep mentioning them. I'm going to Google yeah. them. While we Basically, talk um, they just tried to duplicate Zeiss Master Primes, which are like the gold standard movie lenses, and you could get a set of them for only like $500,000. Um, and they made them for Micro Four Thirds and now E-Mount. So they're really small, beautifully made um, lenses that have uh, very minimal breathing, so when you focus, you don't see that zoom that you'll see so often. Um, they're 11 to 13 blade diaphragm. So, you know, beautiful out of focus rendition on all of them and just great color, great contrast. They flare really beautifully. I like shooting them right into a light source and I'm not a big flare guy at all, but, uh, it's just a gorgeous and it's a high production value looking lens for cheap. Like, you know, Canadian, it's like a thousand to 1500. You can get one of these. Mm Um, you know, compared to, you know, you look at any other good cinema lenses, like we shot them out against a set of Sony Cine Altas, which are considered cheap cine glass, and those are $20,000 for a yeah. set. Um, so, yeah, video side, that's really what's been exciting me lately. Mm-hmm. And then still side as well, all of the, the, all the brands that used to be too cheap to really think about them for professionals are making good glass. Uh, you, yeah. you mentioned a Tamron 45 millimeter that I haven't even heard about, but you said it's pretty great. Well, it's funny because we did this show six months ago or something like that, talking about 50s. And mm-hmm. uh, we all kind of said, like, if someone can make a really great, like, five to $800 50 mil lens with a stabilizer in it, um, they would do really well because there's nothing between that $150 mark to the Sigma 51.4. Um, so Tamron brought it out. I, I'm, I'm taking full credit for that. I'm going to say they just list, <laughs> listened to the podcast, and now it's here. Thanks, Tamron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they raised their hand to you. <laughs> so it's a, it's a 45 mil f1.8, but it is crazy sharp, even wide open. Um, DxO just did some tests, and they're saying it's as good as like a Sigma 51.4. Um, but it's stabilized. Uh, with a very good stabilizer on it um, that's great for stills and video. But it's also, it's almost a one to two macro as well. So it's mm-hmm. like, if I were to get one prime lens, this does almost all of it. You can Crazy. use it as a portrait lens. Uh, it's, you know, I actually prefer a slightly wider than a 50. Like they say, 42 is actually as close as you can get to our natural field of view. This is a little closer than that. How heavy is it compared to the Sigma? It's a little bit lighter, but it's still a heavy okay. lens. Yeah, um, I'd say it's probably like seventy percent Sim- weight. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, similar it, though. It's lighter, definitely. Yeah, but a little bit lighter sounds. Kind of <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Feeling. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, still weather sealed. Um, nice. I have nothing to complain about it. And they did a thirty-five in the same series too. So hmm. um, yeah, if you're looking for something in that range, it's totally. I would have well, said so, before, just go Sigma, but mm-hmm. this is a great option. Now, how do you feel between the, uh, let's not talk about the 45, but the uh, Sigma 35 versus the Tamron 35? I, I think it mostly is going to come down to depth of field control for people. Like, mm. if you really love that, and I love the look of, you know, a really shallow depth of field on a 35, but, um, you know, for safety's sake, that is a lens that I stop down quite a bit. And if you're stopping it down, just get the Tamron because it's lighter, it's less expensive, you get a stabilizer. And again, mm-hmm. it's a very close focusing lens. 
Mm. Yeah. That sounds great. And I'm going to look at them and try them. (laughs) Although I have to just, being me again, (laughs) close focusing on 35 is, is enters into a a level of distortion that I'm generally unhappy with. Well, except for like dog portraits, right? Yeah. Well, it's, Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a weird aesthetic, but you know, once you get that close, you could use it for like detail shots or something like that. But I think if you're planning to use it more as a macro, the 45 makes a lot more sense. Definitely. So, uh, what about Sigma this year? The, there's a 24 to 35 F2. Yep, it's the fastest full frame zoom ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a really restrictive lens range, mm-hmm. definitely. But that's those are some of my favorite focal lengths. Right. Um, I was I remember now being excited about it when I heard, and then I never brought it up again because I eventually just started thinking about trying to picture that range mm-hmm. and realizing I'm not going to use it very much. Yeah, it actually would yep. be a bit more useful for cinema that's, where where yeah. you shoot wider. I think that's who yeah. they targeted, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and I'm surprised there's not a cinema version of it yet mm-hmm. um, because those are. You know, if you're shooting a super 35 sensor, especially, then yeah. 35 to 55 mils, that's awesome. You yeah. can do a lot with that focal really range. Um, but for photography, it is, yeah, it's definitely a little restrictive. Um, they also made a 20 mil f1.4. It's the widest, fastest lens ever mm-hmm. made. Um, yep. And I, that's I, 20 mils, I find it's getting a little, 24 is usually as wide as I like to work with. Yeah, it's a specific use for shooting yeah. 20 mil. Yeah, you, like, like you, you're, you know. Um, but it's I know ultra wide. All the astrophotography people are losing their mind over it right now. So I, I, well, yeah. I think they're kind of filling that niche. Well, and, and you know, Sigma has delivered on the 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 same promise with this lens is, is that exists in all the other art lenses, which is that it is precision at one four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Which at twenty millimeter, nobody knows what that means. Yeah, it's, that's a new concept. When people are asking, like, one of the big benefits of full frame, I say, you know, if you do a wide angle with a little bit of shallow depth of field, it gives you a really interesting separation to the image. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. haven't played with this much, but I think it could be fun to try doing like an environmental portrait or something wide open. It could you yeah. know, with your subject just smack in the middle of the frame, could give you some really interesting looking images. So. I'm, yeah, and that's that's exactly so. Like, if you use if you do environmental portraiture, and you're tip, you typically use a twenty four mil. So if you're using the twenty, and you have this extra speed, and it's still really really sharp, excellent results. The thing I really love about the idea of this is having that extra crop room to fix the distortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, and then yeah. still end up with a twenty four. But you know, to be able to cut off the, the nasty edges that I'm not going to be happy with. That's a good idea. Yeah, totally. Uh, the, another thing I'd been thinking about during the year was buying a 24 to 70 mm-hmm. 2.8, which you, you, that used to be an obvious choice that you'd buy the Canon. Yeah. What's the good lens in that range these days? And the, the Nikon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the new one I'm not crazy about. I'm going to throw that, that out there. The but, two. Yeah. Interesting. The Mark II. The new Mark II. Uh, it's got yeah, crazy. It's very expensive. It's got crazy vignetting, which is easy to fix now. Sure. Um, for all you, wait, wait, for, wait. This is the Nikon? The, Canon. The new yeah. Nikon. Oh, the okay. Nikon. The oh, new sorry, Nikon, okay. yeah. Uh, Canon hasn't done much on that. Part. I thought you meant that. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Um, yeah, Nikon brought out their new 2470 VC, uh, VR. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's... I had a lot of issues micro-adjusting it, which I kind of touched on earlier. Um, drove me crazy. Um, and it's a huge vignette. Like, um, you know, that's not that much of a problem because it's easy to fix in software for photo guys. But for us video guys, like, 
at a 16 by 9 frame, you're seeing the vignette, which is, right, think of how it. much of the corners you're cropping off mm-hmm. in a 16 yeah, by 9 frame. Problem. So it's it's pretty severe. And it looks like it's still fairly sharp at the edges to my eye. Like, I, I still, I've just started testing this thing. But um, for something that costs that much, and is that, it's huge. It's bigger than the Canon 2470 version 2 lens um you know it should be better in every single regard hmm. and i am not getting that you know central sharpness looks about the same as the old one so if you're an icon guy and you don't need a stabilizer i'd probably just get the original one honestly oh totally and uh, the thing about that is that like why would you need a stabilizer with the 24 to 70 I mean, I would take a stabilizer with anything. Yeah, I'll ta- if you can throw it on, I'll take <laughs> yeah. it definitely. Yeah, but like, why are we still building it in the lens? Yeah, you yeah, know, like because because we're, we're stuck with, with, with it. <laughs> yeah, for Canon and right. Nikon. Well, that's that's we're committed. That's where Nikon's falling on their face, though. Is that like you know they're they're like, oh hey, we're going to update you know one of the best zoom lenses ever made, and we're going to put an image. You know, this is the, how we're going to change it is put the vibration reduction in it. When it's like completely unnecessary, and it would make so much more sense to everybody if they just did it in the camera, like Olympus did. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's it's easier to mark up a lens. We're seeing the same thing in Canon as well, right yeah, it's now. Getting really pricey. All the new lenses are more than twice what the originals cost, generally as a rule of thumb, and which is an insult to our intelligence. Yeah, especially when the third parties are just knocking it out of the park. Like I guarantee. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a new Sigma 2470 very soon, and it's mm-hmm. going to be dramatically less expensive than these, and probably better. You know, yeah. historically, <laughs> which is kind of saying a lot. Because I, I will admit that even though the only time I ever use my 24 to 70 is for events and weddings and such, it is it is just a remarkably sharp lens all the way through. Mm-hmm. It's just the the performance of that thing is every time I because I only use it in those environments. Whenever I see it, whenever I'm looking at the final images, I'm always like, wow. Yeah, I love that lens. It's got a great yeah. color contrast. It is, yeah, for, it's amazing. For Canon, I, the 2470 version 2 is a great lens, but it's expensive. Yeah, that's my only fear is spending that much and, and then... Sigma brings yeah. out the yeah $1,400 version exactly. that's sharper. Um, I like the Tamron a lot, but... Um, uh, you know, I'd still say the Canon is a little sharper lens, which it should be for twice the price. Sure, well, I hope so. Uh, but yeah, it, <laughs> that Tamron SP series, which the twenty four seventy started, they're great, mm-hmm. great lenses. If you do want to save a little money, I'd take the, a lot of people were looking at a used Canon twenty four seventy version one. Mm-hmm. I would take the Tamron over that in a right. heartbeat. It's a better lens. Sure. Yeah. Well, wow. that's uh, that's everything we've got in our list, and that's everything in twenty fifteen. Um, do you guys have anything to add? Uh, any best uh, Christmas wishes or uh... Uh, holiday wishes to everyone? Holiday Tyler. wishes all around. <laughs> my holiday wish is to get more Cecilia straps for my the rest of my cameras. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll put that on your wish list. <laughs> um, and where can people find you, Jordan? Uh, they can find me at uh, the Camera Store TV, uh, youtubecom slash TV. Follow me on Twitter, TCSTVJordan. Um, is my handle there. Or we're now on Instagram. It's uh, the Camera Store TV, one word. All over nice. the place. Cool. And uh, Cameron? Uh, I'm still just... Uh, who am I? Where's, okay. your, where's your website? Uh, now you can never launch a website because it's the running gag of the show that you don't have one. <laughs> yeah, so. People are going to listen well, to back episodes and get confused. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still on Twitter. Camrocker. And I'm on Twitter to Stallman and also Stallman.com for other stuff. But thanks for listening, everyone. And happy new year. 
happy all that holiday stuff. Yeah, we made it. We're, we're over a year. That's, that's kind of fun. Well done, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> See, See you next year. Cheers.